Hey guys, this is Robert Breedlove from the What Is Money Show. And as you've learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to facilitate financial security for all. They accomplish this by bringing a high level of professionalization and sophistication to the Bitcoin marketplace. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. By using Nidig, you will gain access to an end-to-end institutional-grade platform, providing Bitcoin OTC transactions, Bitcoin collateralized borrowing, secure custody, asset management, derivatives, financing, market research, and more. And all of these services meet the highest regulatory, governance, and audit standards. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and is leading the way for ongoing institutional adoption in this nascent asset class. So please be sure to check out Nidig as a single source for all your Bitcoin needs. Robert Kiyosaki, thank you for joining me on the What Is Money show. Oh, thank you. You are a man of great wisdom. And I've made, uh, I just finished reading your book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I guess was what really put you on the map originally. And it's still the number one personal finance book of all time. So congratulations on that. Quite an impressive feat. Um, Not only that, it's number one in parenting today of all things, Uh, which makes me really happy because as you know, we don't teach money at school. That's right. So if parents of your age start teaching their kids, we change the world. That's right. I agree. Yeah, so that's- I agree with that completely. I think that that's where I've decided to pour my energy as well as into education, because I do think it is the most important right. um, avenue for, for changing the world. And so you meant it was we were just talking about you grew up in Hawaii. And this book essentially tells the story of the opposing philosophies on life and work you received from your two different dads, which were, which was your father and then the father of your best friend, I think that you, Correct. that you basically grew up with. Correct. And so for, for the audience that maybe hasn't read your book, maybe you could just give a brief intro, like the, the impetus for writing it, um, maybe the story behind it. Did you, I mean, I can't imagine you expected it to be as successful as it has been, <laughs> uh, or maybe you did, but maybe you just give us a little background on it. That'd be great. Well, the, the real reason I wrote the book is because we have no financial education in school. As we're talking about, I had the, um, the good fortune to start learning about money at the age of 10 from my rich dad. And the story of Rich Dad was that my, uh, I, I asked him when I was 10 years old, I asked my fifth grade school teacher, said, hey, when are we going to learn about money? Because I wasn't doing well in school. And I went to a rich kid's school by accident. Not that I was a rich kid, but just by the way the districts was parted. So on one side of the street were all the rich white kids. <laughs> and the other side of the street were all the Asian kids like me. And I always thought that was kind of interesting, you know, I'm going, how come these white kids are rich and why are the Asian kids poor? 
And uh, the reason was, was because the white kids' parents owned the plantations. Mm -hmm. So Hawaii is a plantation state. We weren't slaves, but we're, we came over in the 1880s as indentured servants. That's the history of that. Mm -hmm. And most indentured servants, they always plan to return home, but we never did. So I'm fourth generation Japanese American, and I'm sitting in class, my friends, all guys like you, and they got new bicycles and their parents drive new Ford uh, station wagons. And I got an old beat up bicycle. And my, my friends are across the street at a school called Union School. Mm. And Union is interested because they were labor unions. So it was a classic. I mean, you know, Robert, classical capitalist versus socialist. Yeah. Capitalist union versus owners, slave owners versus laborers. You know what I mean? It was like, God, I couldn't get them, couldn't be born in a better place. So I think it's kind of interesting today with all this Black Lives Matter stuff and all this. I'm going, well, you know, I understand. You know, I understand. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I that's why I asked my school teacher, what am I going to learn about money? Because I want to be like these rich white guys. <laughs> that, was, that was as innocent as it was. That's and funny. then she says, We don't we don't teach money at school. And I thought that was strange. So I go home to the old man who was poor dad, and he's the head of education. He, he ultimately got his PhD from Stanford in education, but yes, you know, PhD stands for poor, helpless, and desperate. And so I, I asked my dad, I said, hey, when am I going to learn about money at school? He says, we don't teach money at school. So Robert, that was a second, like, why? Yeah. You know, would say, que pasa? What's going on here? Yeah. And so that's when I, I pestered everybody. And finally, my, my rich, my poor dad said, go study with your best friend. His father's going to be our rich man. I said, why is that? He said, because he's an entrepreneur. And that's the key. He said, the way out of being a slave to the rich is entrepreneurship. Yes. And so my rich dad was a man with no education. And the funny story is, is he was a construction guy. I mean, he owned a construction company, he owned hotels, but he actually built his own properties. Does that, does that make sense to you? As an accountant, you, know, you understand what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He was acquiring the land, financing the thing. He built hotels, stores, and all this. <clears throat> but when I, at 10 years old, he was driving a dump truck. <laughs> and so my best friend, Mike, was all embarrassed because my white guy friends and women girls, they grew up on the Ford uh, panel wagons, you know, really nice stuff, 50, 55, 56, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And Mike would ask his father not to drop him off near school because <laughs> he a dump truck. <laughs> so, Robert, I learned early in life the way out was be entrepreneurship. That's, that's the story. That's amazing. Uh, so you were growing up right along that dividing line then that was actually physically manifest in the rich and the poor on either side of the street, but also this difference in mentality. And I thought this really captured it for me in your book uh and, and i guess we should say the rich dad and poor dad they weren't what one guy wasn't poor and one guy wasn't rich they actually both made very significant incomes throughout their lives they're both very smart guys um it's more where they ended up uh in the mentality that they brought to the table and that the dividing line that i thought captured it well was you said poor dad would often say i can't afford it Whereas rich dad would say, how can I afford it? Correct. And so in my mind, you've got poor dad 
making a decree effectively, which shuts down his own thinking. You're just Correct. you're you're providing an answer where you should be providing a question Correct. that actually uh, forces you to think. So you could say decree shuts down thinking, inquiry invites thinking, and I think this that just is very fundamental to me because we see this world today where it's government decrees. <laughs> are effectively shutting down thinking, you know, we think we can just point a regulation or a piece of legislation at a problem to fix it. And it doesn't work like that. We need more the inquiry of markets of entrepreneurs, you know, experimenting, trying to solve problems, and advancing us. So I thought that was excellent. And then the basically that people capture, I'm sorry, people shape their lives with their patterns of their thoughts. So is that what it all comes down to? Like it, it starts with the mindset, right? That we then carry out into our actions in the world, which shape our lives. Is that is that how you saw the difference between rich dad and poor dad unfold? Well, it's pretty pervasive. You know, like my rich often said, the most important piece of real estate is the the distance between this year and this year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if you don't get this thing working for you, it's fallow. You know, what I mean. Yeah. It's not producing. And so what happens for most people when they go to school, they shut it off. They just sit there and memorize what some school teacher tells them to memorize. Right. Like go to school, get a job, work hard, save money, pay your taxes, and get out of debt, and live debt free. And I'd sit there listening to this stuff, and I'm going, but that's not what my rich dad does. Mm. And so I'd go to work for my rich dad for free because my rich dad refused to pay me. He says, the moment you accept a paycheck, your mind goes into gear, I'm going to work for money. And as a CPA, you know the rich don't work for money. Mm. And as a, as a person who loves Bitcoin, you don't, want the, you don't want the dollar anyway. But, you know, most people are addicted to that dollar or the yen or the peso. Yeah. And that's what our schools are indoctrinating kids to do is to work for that fake dollar. Mm -hmm. So it's really what this guy Thomas Sowell says, and he's, uh, he's at uh, Stanford and he's a black man. He goes, he says, education is now indoctrination mm -hmm. into socialism. And that's, that's uh, I'm a US Marine, fought in Vietnam twice, and I fought for capitalism. I don't fight for socialism. So it's, it's a very, it's more than just how can I, it's just, what what is my work life dedicated to? Yes. Don't want job security? Not really. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's a great point. I um, the other difference between rich dad and poor dad is a rich dad would always say, "I don't work for money; money works for me." Correct. Which is the capitalist mentality versus the socialist or bureaucratic mentality. Um, and I love this too. He said that. You said job security is what meant everything to poor dad. He's always looking for a secure job, a lot of benefits, you know, steady salary, security, all of these things. Whereas rich dad was always focused on learning and experience and um, I guess a variety of perspective too. You told the story of how you sat in on a lot of meetings with his bankers and accountants and attorneys. Um, so he was very much knowledge 
and experience focused. Whereas, well, I, 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 if I could share this picture here, there's a couple makes it makes it really simple. Yeah, please. Because um, I flunked out of school twice because I can't write. Now, my book is number twenty in the world, Robert. Of all books in the world, I'm number twenty. Wow. Okay. Number nineteen is the Bible. <laughs> Not only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably go to hell too. <laughs> but here, this is this is the thing. This is book number two. Okay. Okay. And my rich dad would say there's four kinds of people in the world: employees, self-employed, or small business guys, mm -hmm. big business or brands. And I is not a 401k guy. I is an insider. Mm. So I'm always in. You know that what they say this. Insiders are, is illegal. That's that's not true. Mm -hmm. Insider trading is done all day long. Yeah. I I don't have stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or a four hundred one k. I only invest from the inside. Mm -hmm. I put my own deals together. I am a capitalist. I don't need to buy a stock because I can build my own assets. Mm. So when I was about ten years old, my brain started to shift, saying, "I'd rather be on this side," and this is poor debt job security, and this is my mom. She wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer. And I said, mom, there's only a problem with that. Those are smart people. She goes, mm. you're right. You better stay on this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was a C student. And so I belong on this side. Yeah. And so if you look at most entrepreneurs, they drop out of school. Yeah, yeah. You know that? Because yeah. you're not going to get entrepreneurship on this side. You're going to get it on the B and the I side. So what Rich Dad does, we, we teach on this side. It's yeah. up to you. I don't, this side is the hardest, as you know, as, right. as an account, you know how hard this side is. Of course. This side is, yeah. You have to be really smart. Yeah. But this side here is pretty easy. Yeah. The, the, the trade-off between security and freedom, right? Like you're either out there with your own skin in the game making your own way, which is a high risk, high reward lifestyle, or you can be under the thumb of someone or some big company where you've got a more predictable, secure lifestyle, usually, but it can also all be taken away from you, right? Where if, if you get laid off after 20 years on the job, then you're just completely unprepared for the wild, so to speak. And my stepdad yeah. used to say to me all the time, it's funny you talk about A students and C students, he goes, a C student hires an A student every single day of the week. So it's not about. <laughs> yeah, that's not a very popular concept there, Robert. Yeah, but it's A true. students work for C students and B students work for the government. <laughs> <laughs> that's where B stands for bureaucrat. Yeah. So that's a good branch into yeah, I guess it's capitalist versus bureaucrats in a way. Um, and it, it comes down to property ultimately. You know, capitalists are about creating wealth and uh, monetizing property. As you say, you make your own deals, whereas bureaucrats are really about confiscating or taxing or stealing from the productive efforts of others flat out. And as you say, in the book, taxes punish those who produce and reward those who don't produce. Right. It's as simple as that. It's a very straightforward right. incentive system. And it blows your mind when you think about the percentage because it ends up 
the government actually is the most expensive purchase most people make in their lifetimes. You make the point that most people are working from January to May just for their government. So how, how is one to deal with this? You're just, I guess the entrepreneurial path is to figure out the rules of the game and then go and play it. And you, clearly you've done this very well in real estate where you're doing, I think you're using a combination of borrowing plus 1031 exchanges and uh, corporate sheltering profits and corporations. You're constantly playing this game to pay yourself first as Rich Dad taught you, <laughs> but still play by the rules. Maybe you could explain a little bit of that. Yeah, as a lot of people think I'm a real estate guy, I'm really not. I own about a billion dollars worth of real estate. 100% debt. If you understand that one, mm. it's called leverage, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I learned very early on when I was <clears throat> when I was in Vietnam, that's when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. Mm. And um, the dollar became debt. So that's what changed my mind. But if you look at this here, it's just a matter of awareness. This is book two, Cash Flow Quadrant. Yeah. Employees, and this is worldwide. As an accountant, you know this. 40% of their income goes to the government first. Yeah. So 40% 40, 40 of employee income straight to government. Yeah. yeah. And for the self-employed or the small entrepreneur, it's 60%. Wow. Well, Robert, what's happening? I mean, you, I mean you, you see this all the time. So what happens is these young kids, they say, well, I'll quit my job, become an entrepreneur. And they walk into the highest tax bracket possible. Right. Okay. So on this side here, B stands for big business, 500 employees by law. Okay. It's 20%. Right. So when I was a kid, I said, I want to get onto this side. And the true I is zero. It is nothing. Right. Yeah. And so when you when you when you watch Trump, you know, Trump and I have written two books together. I know he's hated, but he's a good guy. When Hillary said, you know, it's true you don't pay taxes. <laughs> and what did Trump say on national television? That means I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> and so Robert, as an account, you know that he operates from Yeah. Here. Okay, so the reason I invest in real estate is to offset the taxes here. From the business. Okay, so I make, yeah. let's say I make a million dollars here. I come down here, let's say I make a million, I lever yeah. up four. So I borrow four millions, my basis is now five million. I depreciate the five million to get it down to zero. So you're taking the profit streams from the corporate investments, putting them into real estate, using that as collateral to borrow and expand the base and then just depreciating off. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's genius. It's, it's this here is that I use debt mm. to buy my assets. Yeah. So this is the liability. This is debt. So I borrow 4 million <clears throat> here. My basis, I make 1 million here, borrow four. I'm at five here. I depreciate mm. five. Gotcha. And that That's is off that offsets all the income that was produced originally. Wow. And guess what? I make more and more money. Right. And that's that what was, Trump. 
Yeah. You know, Hillary, Hillary makes it the old fashioned way. They picked her pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, you know, for the, the audience, it's just on audio. There's a brilliant visuals in the book that are breaking it down just that simply. You've got assets and liabilities. You've got income and expenses. And the rich dad strategy is really just to increase the asset side of the balance sheet largely through the difference between income and expenses, but yeah. also through these strategies you're mentioning here. Well, I'm showing a picture of the asset column, which is, see, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is basically a book on accounting. You know yeah. that. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. Income and statement of cash flow. That's it. Yeah. yeah, It's so simple. When I was a kid, I learned that playing Monopoly. So by the time I was in high school, I was a wreck. I was a wreck. Yes. Because every time the teacher said to me, if you don't get good grades, you won't get a good job. I said, good. Yeah. I don't plan on getting a job. And uh, I was all screwed up because I had two dads. But the nice thing about it is your generation and younger now, they're not looking for job security because they know that's a myth. That's right. You know, with I just read this uh, article about a Amazon. Algorithms now hire and fire you. Mm. That if you don't deliver a package within a certain parameter, you're fired. I believe it. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have a chance today. Yeah. And so the guys that use algorithms and technology and all that control the world, like Gates and Bezos and those guys. And our school teachers are still saying to kids, go to school, get a job. That's obsolete. Mm -hmm. So I wrote this book for today, which I did part of that for today and the quadrant for today. Mm. Because I think it's important that every young person know you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're cruising into a higher tax bracket. So the reason I have real estate is primarily because the banks will give me all the money I want for the real estate. Mm. It's a security, as you know. Yeah. It's great so collateral. I borrowed, yeah, collateral. I borrowed, <clears throat> I borrowed almost a billion dollars uh, in the last five years. Mm. Because after, after 2008, when the, the real estate market crashed and interest rates went down, you know, not really religious, but I said, thank you, Jesus. You know, he just, he, just, he, just, he just sent me a crash and lower interest rates. And everybody else was going, oh, what was me? What was me? Yeah. And I, I died and went to heaven. <laughs> so this is a, that, that points us to a great uh, saying in your book as well, that rich people acquire assets. The poor and middle class acquire liabilities that they Correct. think are assets. Yes, very well said. So maybe well, you can what is that? Tell me, man. You're, you're you're ten million times smarter than me than I count. What 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 am I saying? <laughs> I mean, the way I read it is, um, you, you make the point that a lot of people in the poor, or I guess you could say middle class, more so than the poor, treat their house as their greatest asset or greatest investment. Yeah. But what in fact it is, it's typically encumbered with a large mortgage. Um, there's a lot of expenses. It's basically, the way I look at a house is it's a durable consumer good, right? Whereas most people think it's, you know, again, their, their largest asset and their largest expense and their largest piece of collateral for borrowing against. Um, whereas the rich would be trying to acquire unencumbered income generating assets, I think, is that? Sort of what it doesn't have to be on a convert. 
The point here is this. It goes mm-hmm. to what they call financial literacy. Mm-hmm. It is in the definition of the word. Mm-hmm. So my rich dad, you know, my poor dad always at my house as an asset. Mm-hmm. He was a PhD. And my rich dad said, your dad's an idiot. Because what determines if something an asset or not is a statement of cash flow. Mm. As an accountant, right. you know that. So that's why in the cash flow board game, there's three statements, income expense, which is the ba- in- income statement, mm-hmm. balance sheet, and statement of cash flow. So that's what the game is called, cash flow. Right. So what, what <clears throat> the rich know how to do is how to, is how to uh, control cash flow. I want cash flow flowing in, right. but if you get a job and you pay taxes, cash is flowing out. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? So I, I just want to control my cash flow. Yeah. So it's really cash flow is what I'm after. So the reason I like real estate is, like again, a simple example, I make a million dollars in income. I borrow four million, I step up my basis to five, I make income from the five million and I pay no tax. I've just controlled cash flow all the way around. Mm. And so it goes on to financial literacy. Assets put money in your pocket, liabilities take money from your pocket. So today there's million. I'm, I talked to my the guy who does my hair. He says, I just bought an asset. What you buy? He says, oh, I got an $800,000 house. Mm-hmm. He's a hairdresser. I mean, he's going to have to cut a lot of hair to pay for freaking house. <laughs> but he thinks he's, he thinks it's Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. Now, how, let me ask you: How do you fit gold, silver, Bitcoin into that framework? If they're not income-producing assets, how, what do you consider those in, in that lens of of assets versus liabilities? They're a hedge against the Fed and the Treasury. Mm. I don't trust the Fed. I don't trust the Treasury. Yeah, and I, you know, the definition of money is a unit of account, a store of value, and what's that one? Uh, Medium of exchange. Yeah, exchangeability. Yeah. So the dollar is a declining. It's is being depreciated and otherwise being spent or mm. printed out of existence, or at least Bitcoin, which I don't understand very well, <clears throat> but I know via design is designed to hold its value. Mm-hmm. And so I buy gold, silver, and gold and silver to me are God's money. Mm-hmm. So I've started a gold mine, I've started silver mines. I have millions in gold and silver stored in vaults outside the US. I don't trust my government mm-hmm. for confiscation, as you know. Mm-hmm. But when I looked at Bitcoin, was talking to guys like you and Max mm-hmm. Kaiser and stuff like this, I'm going, I got it. It cannot be diluted, mm-hmm. cannot be printed away. And so when I see what Biden is now, we, 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 you know, in 2008, they borrowed 700 billion and now it's 7 trillion. Yeah. God almighty, you're still yeah. saving money. Right. Crazy. And more to come. Yeah. It, yeah. it cannot stop. Yeah. It accelerates. Yeah. It, it accelerates yeah. until. Exactly. Until the currency breaks down completely, so that's interesting. Right. You you actually look at gold, silver, Bitcoin as an insurance policy, effectively. Correct, a hedge. So you're monitoring your your cash net cash flows are determining whether something's an asset or liability, but you have to actually hedge the cash itself because it's being depreciated by the Fed and Treasury. Correct. 
That's brilliant. And I thought it was really interesting was that, and I went to military school, <clears throat> so the books we studied in economics were Marx, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao. <laughs> wow. So by the time I got, <laughs> yeah, by the time I got to Vietnam, I I was flying I flew uh, the gunship for them. I saw a different world. I saw communism in action. Yeah. And I see communism in America today. Yeah. That's what scared me. Yeah. Yeah. Scares me as well. And I, this one is it's more than just in America, you know, it seems globally concerted this time. Yeah. Um this propaganda that entities like the World Economic Forum are pushing that in ten in, in ten years you'll you'll own nothing and be happy. It's just it's blatant anti-capitalist propaganda. No, it's pro Marx. I mean, as Marx said, he says, "What is the purpose of communism? To destroy, destroy property. Yeah, to take your property. That's right. They do that through taxation and money printing. Yeah, which is the basis of civilized human action. If we don't have property, then we're we're just back in the Stone Age, effectively. Well, you're serfs. Yeah. You know, the word paysant, peasant, mm -hmm. comes from the French word pay." land song person of the land mm. and as, as uh orwell said in animal farm all animals are equal some are more equal than others yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point yeah it, so it's not it's interesting that communism stated it's not taught in school no not taught in school and its stated intention is to abolish property but technically it's the people that can control the state apparatus are really just accumulating all the property for themselves and forcing everyone else to work for them effectively. And that's exactly what George Orwell wrote about an animal farm. Yes. All animals are equal. Yeah. Some are just more equal than others. That's right. So when you look at what happened in the last few elections, it was Hillary Clinton against the Trump. And she's a pure, pure academic elite. And Trump's a capitalist. And they thought that Hillary was going to win because it went from Obama. I'm not Republican or Democrat, so I'm mm. a citizen. So it went from Obama, okay, we have a black guy. The next agenda is get a woman in there. Mm. And then Trump popped up. Because I remember in 2015, I was interviewing him. He and I wrote two books together, like I said. He's a good guy. He says, I'm sorry, I can't write. We're close to write the third book. And he says, I can't do that book with you because I'm going to run for president. I said, man, good luck. <clears throat> and the next thing you see is he's coming down Trump Tower with Melania. And for those of you who are men of men who appreciate beautiful women, Melania is stunning in real life. Mm. And she's a model. Mm. But Vogue magazine didn't put her on the cover. So what is going on, Robert? What is going on when the probably the most beautiful first woman, first lady we've ever had, gets taken off the cover of Vogue. Hmm. But when you read Marx, he said, I'm gonna get nailed for this one. He says, <laughs> he says, he says we, should, we should promote feminism, even ugly ones. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Robert, yeah. here I am in, I'm in military school, I'm 19 years old reading Marx and Stalin and Lenin, he says, we should, we should promote women, even ugly ones. I went, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> I, can't, I didn't know he actually said that. Oh, 
all of this is in writing. Yeah. Just look up Stalin. That's so interesting. I, I um, what's funny too is the central bank. I've told this. Uh, I, the one piece of Marxist right writing that I read was the 1848 manifesto of the communist party. And it's measure number five is the central bank. It's like, we have to centralize control over cash and credit to operate a communist economy. So like central banking is not, it's not only like I, um, you're not hypothesizing that it's a communist institution. It is in the communist playbook. It's the, it's number five. Yes. And central uh, banking, it's essential to communism. Yes. And that's all it is doing, actually, is when you're printing money, you're just confiscating property from anyone that's depending on that money to hold its value. So how do you, it seems to me then this whole game ultimately revolves around property and property rights. And this is where, as you know, I would say Bitcoiners tend to believe its importance lives because Bitcoin is the hardest property to confiscate in human history, because it's just information, right? If you custody it properly, like you said, you have um, vaults full of gold outside of the U.S. because you don't trust U.S. authorities, right? That the likelihood of them confiscating the vaults or the buildings or whatever it may be. Bitcoin gives us this totally unique way to custody an asset in any information-bearing medium. So it can be you can publish it in an article to decode it, you can put it in your brain, you put it in a song, et cetera, et cetera. So can we have a truly capitalist world without difficult to confiscate property like Bitcoin? I mean, in my mind, it doesn't even seem possible. It just seems like we'd keep repeating this um, statist trend towards communism and revolution over and over. Well, you need poor people to have a revolution, isn't it? And so when I saw COVID come out and they shut down the economy, to me, it was another sign from Marx. Mm. And the thing that I'm concerned about now, I don't know what's going to happen, but if we go to the Fed coin, mm. what happens when government takes over crypto? And, you know, from what I can tell, it'll mean the end of banking. So bankers will become unemployed because the moment the Fed goes to 100% communist control of the central government and the economy, then you don't need Wells Fargo, you don't need JP Morgan and all that. I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's the worst case scenario, but I'm watching that way. Well, at that point, the moment they can control us by our money, let's say, I, what I, this is what I predict, Robert. If, I'm not saying it's gonna happen, if they go to Fed coin or Euro coin or Japanese coin or whatever it is, that's going to make gold, silver, and Bitcoin more valuable. Mm, Of course. Because it's untraceable at that point. Mm. And the whole thing, as you know, is central planning, which is communism, Mm. is they want to control your life. They Mm. want to trace your movements. They want to know where you are, what you're doing, what you're spending your money on, who you're sleeping with, and all that stuff. So one of the things I've been saying to people is start acquiring things that are untraceable, that are tangible. Mm. For example, bullets today are more valuable than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. But the moment they can track the bullet, you know what I mean? They say, well, whose bullet, who owned that bullet that killed that guy? Oh, Robert Kiyosaki owned that bullet. Mm. That bullet becomes less valuable. 
Right. As as Chris Rock said, you know, he says, if you want to stop gun, you stop murders, just make bullets 50,000 around. Yeah. He says, I'm going I'm to shoot you, but I'll have to save up to buy the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Chris Rock is a prophet as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's an excellent point. So it's... Um... Uh, my the more point. untraceable, Robert, the more invisible it is and not trackable, mm -hmm. it's going to, in the next 20 years, it's going to become more and more valuable. So mm -hmm. even today, they can track gold coins if they have a chip in them. Right. This, uh, so my coins have no chips in them. Your, your Bitcoins don't? No chips. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. How are they going to track? Yeah. Yeah, I think so that's kind of why I bought it. I don't know much about the cyber world, but I just do know what the Fed is kind of up to, and they want centralized control, which is communism. Yes, yes. Um, and to your point, that the more, and this is kind of a, the bet on Bitcoin and gold in a lot of ways, is the more the state tries to exert control over money or these other tools, the more demand it creates for things that are resistant to that control in terms of trace, traceability or can't be inflated or whatever. This quote- how, how, how invisible can it become? Yeah. So a bullet today is invisible. You know, they'd have to get the gun and track the barrel yeah. and of yeah. the Marine. Yeah. But the moment they put a chip in the bullet, you're finished. Right. <clears throat> this um, this quote was tweeted out by my friend Mark Moss today, and this is from Henry Kissinger. He said, who controls the food supply controls the people, who controls the energy can control whole continents, who controls money can control the world. Correct. So it seems like the state is really going after these three primary power sources, right? It was just food, energy, and money. Um, and through those levers they can control everything and control everyone and but in my mind the only tools we have to fight back with this is, is digital technology right to your point about guns and bullet tracing if you can 3d print firearms or 3d print ammunition then all of a sudden you can produce these things without being traced through the supply chain if you're using something like bitcoin uh via you know the lightning network or some other privacy mechanisms you can actually make your money untraceable um you know what other hope do we have for fighting back like, do, do you have in this mentality of resistance towards state control or this drift towards communism and what what other ways do you resist or advise people resisting well, let's, let's use a, a physical metaphor on that whole thing. <clears throat> when you when you look at E's and S's, it's like a vitamin drip or like an IV drip. Mm -hmm. They got this plastic tube that's going into your arm. It's called cash flow. It's your paycheck. Mm -hmm. As long as you need that IV line, that that plastic line, and they got a scissors next to it, they got you. Mm -hmm. All this is control you. This is you see this scissors here. I'm going to cut it. So that's why years and years ago, when I came back from Vietnam, my poor dad lost his job, his PhD, because he challenged the government. The government says, you're fired. 
Mm. See, look what happened during the COVID-19 lockdown. Doctors got fired for questioning. Mm. You know, Amazon just, I mean, they did this whole article on Amazon today. If you're one of these uh, independent contractor drivers and, and they can track how fast you deliver a package, they yeah. do not care that the gate was locked or the cop apartment complex was complex. Mm. They just fire um, uh, an algorithm fires. Mm. So that's what I mean by the IV line or the blood transfusion line. So when I was, as I got older and more aware of what was going on with the government, I didn't want that transfusion line. So that's why in Rich Dad Poor Dad, lesson number one is the rich don't work for money. We work mm. for assets and those assets I own and control. Yeah. I get, I get my cash flow from my assets. I have no stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs. <clears throat> my assets produce money. And that's what one of the biggest assets I have. Like I said, with you know, I have ES, the quadrant, ES, BNI, the right hand side is BNI. That's brand. How much is a brand? So when you look at eyes like Buffett, a guy like Buffett only invests in brands. Mm. He only invests in things like Gillette, Coca-Cola, Apple, mm. Newmont Mining, and all this stuff. Mm. <clears throat> so the object of the entrepreneur was then to learn the skill set to create assets that are brands. That took a long time. Yeah. But And I'm not saying to do it because most people can't do it. But if you can, then you have a Bezos, which is Amazon. You have Jobs, which is Apple, <clears throat> Henry Ford was Ford, and Rockefeller was Standard Oil. So it, it was all, all I do is I kind of open people's eyes, <clears throat> and then they can look at where to go. The reason I'm always saying gold over Bitcoin is as of right now, they're untraceable. Mm. What's going to happen in the future? I don't know because just recently, my friend who's into gold said a shipment of gold came from China coins with chips in. Wow. So when you think, I mean, you think like that, you see the world differently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this like, Chris, it's like Chris Rock says, I'm going to kill you, but I have to save up money to buy the bullet first. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this. I think Oh, funny. <laughs> He's hilarious. <laughs> um, the so there's this struggle. Then, really, it's an it's an informational struggle at the end of the day, right? It's like who's controlling yeah. the information, who's tracking and tracing these resources. Um, it's preaching your left ear and your right ear. Yeah, and, and this you put in there. You still have the freedom to choose what you put between your left ear and your right ear. Right. You see, the biggest problem is education. Yeah. The NEA, National Extortion Association for Teachers Unions, they control what's put in a kid's brain. Yeah. It's not good. And parents are dependent on the education system because they have to go to work 40 hours a week to pay the Correct. government. You know. And, <laughs> wow. and the mantra is, if you don't go to school, you won't get a, a job. Wow. So by the time I was, what, 15 years old, air tender teachers said to, that to me, I said, well, I don't want a job, so I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> this quote in your book, 
says uh, true capitalists use their financial knowledge to simply find an escape. So you're trying to take assets out of this system effectively. What is it? It's called freedom. Freedom. You see, on the E and the S side, you're uh, you're you're attached to that IV line. Mm. On the B and the I side, you're tapped into universe, mm. and then the universe is infinite. Mm. Like you know, Bitcoin didn't exist what twenty years ago. Yeah, and now it's going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And then you got guys like Peter Schiff who said he's a piece of shit, and all these guys. I don't know why they argue. Personally, just buy some, <laughs> shut up, move on. <laughs> it seems like it's become a, a marketing tactic for him just trying bitcoin and, and every time the price comes down he yells and screams i mean he's a good friend all these guys are good friends of mine. <laughs> you know what i mean i, I think they're but we're all a bunch of that's, that's like when i was when i was in miami with you at gammon's thing yeah i learned more hanging out at those places because i get to listen to all these different points of view because points of view are infinite Right. Right. Everybody's got one. Yeah. Do you know? I just listened to them and said, okay, well, I like that. I don't like that. You know? yeah. I like I like I liked your when you were up there and uh, George was up there and uh, Brent Johnson. Yeah. That was that was a powerhouse of knowledge. Brent and Jeff Snyder was up there as well. Yeah, Jeff, oh my God. Yeah. Talking to him was like yeah. destroyed my brain. Yeah, that was a great panel. Um oh Jesus. I mean, what else would you do with your time? I would love to have, you know, I just sat in that audience in Miami. People say, you should go and speak. I said, no, I went to listen. Well, you gave a great presentation too. <laughs> I yeah, saw well, yours that morning. I, I, I'm just a Marine. I curse, yell, and swear. And <laughs> I, I speak to the right audience. You know, I'm not speaking to the National Teachers Association. Uh, <laughs> they, so- they'd, hang, they'd hang me up. If I was speaking to a bunch of teachers, there'd be a second crucifixion. <laughs> be a Japanese guy, not a Jewish guy. <laughs> so let me ask you, um, what? so on that topic that we discussed on the panel that morning was the future of money. Yeah. Where do you have a vision on where this is going? I mean, clearly central banks are trying to introduce Fed coin, which would, to your point, eliminate the need for intermediary banks. We'd all just have an account with the Fed or whatever our local central bank is. Um, Bitcoin is a big wild card in this whole thing. Clearly, you're a proponent of gold. Do you have a vision in mind for where the future of money is headed or where it potentially could head? I still say it's it's infinite because the infinity lies between your left ear and your right ear. Mm. And if you and so that's why I go to like Gammon, George Gammon's event, and I listen to guys like no, you're the young guys coming out. I'm sitting there just soaking it all in, mm. and then it kind of mixes with my old guy attitude. And then I go, okay, I think I'll take this. To, I'll go this path or that path. I think the most stupid thing to do is go to school, get a job, mm. work hard, save money, invest in a four hundred one k, pay your taxes. I mean. It, does, it takes no imagination. Yeah. And as, as Einstein said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Right. Because imagination is infinite. Mm. Knowledge is finite. Which comes back to the point of education that, you know, 
as I guess as educators, we should be stoking the imagination of human beings that we don't have to live right. under this financial tyranny. There are there are alternatives. Correct. Oh. It's it's um, you know I, I I'm I'm so glad your generation is coming up because. I don't know if you know this, but Rich Dad Poor Dad was turned down by the New York Times and all the New York editors saying I, I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, it was so radical for them. I said, all it is is a book on accounting, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flow. That's all it is. But academics don't know what accounting is. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know that more than anybody. I mean, uh, you're in it. Uh, the the intellectual yet idiots, I think is one of their taglines, the IYIs. Um, so caught up in theory or the need to express their theory or find something that's co coherent with their theory that they ignore practice. They ignore what's happening in the real world. Bitcoin's a great example of that. Um, even really like people I otherwise consider to be really smart, like Taleb, who I'm a big fan of his writing, he came out and wrote this paper against Bitcoin. But the very guy that actually came up with the term intellectual yet idiots, that it's practice over theory, is now theorizing about why Bitcoin should be worth zero when in practice it's worth, you know, half a trillion dollars or whatever it is. So I don't it comes back to that original point of decree, you know, versus I can't afford it versus how can I afford it? Like instead of right. telling and acting and pretending as if you have totalizing knowledge and you have the answer, we should instead always be asking, right? Exploring those that infinite um varied points of view and see what answers, you know, even if they're tentative answers, we can arrive at. Yeah, let me say it again, as Einstein, as Einstein has said, imagination is infinite. Mm. Knowledge is limited. Yeah. And so when you have somebody who's operating on knowledge, like most academic types are, they're screwed. Yeah. So just think about this one, okay? This is what my rich dad taught me, because I teach entrepreneurship. I don't teach job security or 401k. I mean, if, you, if that's what you want, have a good life. It's not where I want to operate. Because I think the future lies in your imagination. Hmm. So when when I talk to people, what does an entrepreneur do? An entrepreneur builds a product that's smarter and better than they are. Mm -hmm. Let me say it again. Entrepreneurs build products that are smarter, better, harder working than they are. <clears throat> so for example, Steve Jobs, who dropped out of Reed College. Oh, I lived next door to Reed College in Oregon for a while. But he, he invented the cell phone. That cell phone is a thousand times more powerful than he is. It works harder. It serves more people. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That's an entrepreneur. And Henry mm. Ford was the car, automobile, the Ford at least. And then you had guys like um, Thomas Edison who failed 1,014 times making the electric light bulb. Mm. Well, the electric light didn't exist until Thomas Edison said, maybe we should try it. And a school teacher would tell him, well, you failed 1,014 times. Mm. Another thing, too, that, that happened was the electric light gave birth to a guy named John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil. Because up until that time, John D. Rockefeller made his fortune selling kerosene. Mm. And you know what he was doing, Robert? He was stockpiling the residual of kerosene, which is oil. 
So he had these huge tanks of oil. And so when kerosene went out of business because of Thomas Edison, Rockefeller became richer because the automobile was invented. <laughs> he, hmm. he had the oil. <laughs> Amazing. And I, I went, well, I only knew this because I went to school to work for Standard Oil. I'm a, yeah. I can drive oil tankers. That's why my whole, my background is naval architecture, oil tankers, yeah. big business. <laughs> wow. And then I flew from the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's so, yeah, it's, you make this point too in the book that, again, this divide between the bureaucratic and capitalistic mentality is the government ideal is to avoid having excess money. If you fail to spend your allotted funds, you risk losing it in the next budget. You would certainly not be recognized for being efficient. Business people, on the other hand, are rewarded for having excess money and applauded for their efficiency. Very good point. Yeah, one group is solving problems, the capitalists. The other group is just creating problems. Well, that's, that's even more important than that, Robert, is that, you know, the big question today, is it inflation or deflation? Mm. A true capitalist causes deflation. Mm -hmm. They want to provide a better product at a better price. It does more work for, for more people. Yes. Whereas a bureaucrat needs inflation. Yes. And what inflation is, is a tax on the working class. That's right. You know, it's so horrible what the NEA, the National Extortion Association, is doing in schools. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're punishing the working class. Yeah. Yeah, I had uh, Jeff Booth on to discuss that very topic, and it just makes sense. Like We're trading with one another competing to solve problems, the better we get at solving those problems, the cheaper goods and services should become. That's intuitively obvious. Correct. Um, and how I could mean, that how ever, how, it's amazing that they tricked us to believe that that's a bad thing. Lower prices every year are a bad thing. How is that even? Well, look, look, at my board, look at my board game. Let's say it's a hundred bucks. It can teach thousands of people doesn't get tired, mm -hmm. doesn't ask for a pay raise, doesn't want benefits, mm -hmm. and doesn't want a vacation. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I love um, the point you made about the game, actually games, that they are, they are a reflection of your behavior. So you told the story about the right. woman that played the game, got frustrated that she didn't learn the lesson, but then a few weeks later came back and said, oh, I realize now that this cash flow game was kind of reflecting my own behavior back at me that in Correct. her actual life, she had not managed her cash flow well and had a painful divorce and right. all of this. Um, and I really liked this. This was some Japanese wisdom you shared in the book that the Japanese were aware of three powers, the power of the sword, the power of the jewel and the power of the mirror. Yeah. Maybe you could tell me about that. Well, as an accountant, what's a financial statement? I guess it's a mirror, right? Yeah. Yeah. It measures how smart you are yeah. with your money. And most people have no idea what a financial statement is. But that's all rich dad, poor dad is. I think it's kind of, I mean, with your background in accounting, all I did was take what you knew, I dumped it down. 
So Honestly, average- did. you completely did. <laughs> and then the cash flow game, as you know, it's like going to the gym because it's Maria Montessori at the Montessori school system. What the hand does, the mind remembers. Mm. So when you sit there with a cash flow game, you have to do your sums. You have to do the, with a pencil, you erase, you're moving things, you're watching, well, if I do this, this happens and all this stuff. So the cash flow game is like going to the gym for your brain mm. and how you keep these things moving from this direction to that direction, this direction, that direction. Mm. But in school, you just talk to memories. <clears throat> mm. Go to school, cut up your credit cards, get a job, and then put your money in a 401k. You can try a chimpanzee to do that. Right. But the cash flow game is is an exercise in accounting for your brain. And we have the electronic version, but I think the the, the board game version is going to the gym. Mm-hmm. You sit there, you cooperate. If you've seen the game, everybody has to audit the other guy. Mm. So the, when, when Robert Breedlove makes his move, I've got to audit you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's called checking the balance. Sounds it's very like Bitcoin. Good. Yeah, it's very good practice. Yeah. And I make this image, well, I played the game once, I didn't learn a damn thing. Thank you. <laughs> it was the people that complained about the rigor, right? The actual the, doing the math, having to audit one another. Correct. The people that didn't like doing the math are the ones that needed it most. Well, it's not, it's not hard. It's not calculus. It's just yeah. efficient subtraction. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's work. This whole thing, you know? I think it's kind of funny, personally. You don't like the math. Well, it is kind of higher math. It's called addition and subtraction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a little multiplication now and then. <laughs> That's maybe another fundamental divide between the capitalist and bureaucratic mentality is the capitalist creates value through work. And Correct. the bureaucrat is extracting value through theft. They're not, they're not contributing anything through work. Correct. And you've got to have, there'll always be both of them. Yeah. What's not right or what's not wrong, there'll always be two of them. You know, this, this, all coins have three sides, heads, tails, and edge of the coin. Mm. So the intelligence is found the edge. So like when I listened to a Max Kaiser, who's all Bitcoin, and then mm. I listened to Peter Schiff, who's anti-Bitcoin, well, I listened to both sides. What's the mm. big deal? Mm. What is the big deal? Right. I don't care. But somebody, our schools teach us we must be right. Mm-hmm. And I'd just rather be rich. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just do it. I just do what works for me. If, if having a 401k is your idea of investing, have a good life. Yeah. I don't want one because I have to pay taxes. <laughs> right. I don't yeah. like paying taxes. Yeah. But they tell you it's a tax incentivized thing. No, it's not. Give me a break. Yeah. I liked this too. Um, what you described is when you, you said, quote, when I say mind your own business, I mean build and keep your asset column strong. Yes. The best thing about money is that it works 24 hours a day and can work for generations. Correct. So clearly... With a show called the what is money show i'm often thinking about what money is but this is a new one for me that money is it's like an inexhaustible employee in a way correct and if you think about it that way that you're putting the money to work for you intelligently 
um, you get a drastically different result than if you're working for the money. Well, that's, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a technology guy. I might barely use a cell phone, but what I understand about Bitcoin is it only gets more valuable. Mm. It only holds its value longer, especially in contrast to the Fed and the Treasury. We're going to print it and tax it. Yep. So as long as you don't spend your Bitcoin as of today, you don't have a taxable event. That's right. It just keeps it's a whole store of value. Yeah. The simple way I try to describe it for people is clearly there's a fixed supply of 21 million. So like you said earlier about gold effectively being an insurance policy on the treasury and the fed that's how i describe right. bitcoin i say it's an insurance policy that becomes more valuable the more dollars they print simple as that but there's no counterparty you don't need the insurance company to pay you out like holding Correct. bitcoin is is owning the insurance company itself well gold silver and uh, bitcoin i mean the coins and all that have no counterparty risk that's right is you know, counterparty means it's not an IOU from anybody else. Yeah. And so when I understood it, it was Ralph Pal of uh, his vision. Yeah. Yeah. So he explained it to me that that I, I talked to guys like you and then Jeff Booth. Then Jeff Snatter blew my fucking brain out. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just sit there. I'm a, I'm a I'm a dumbass marine. You know, I just go and make money. And then I, I see to me, gold, silver, Bitcoin is the end of the chain, not the start of the chain. Yeah. The object is to get to gold, silver, Bitcoin. Yes. Because it's money. In the process, in the process <clears throat> you know, like the Green New Deal, I just invested with Marin Katusa in carbon credits. I have no idea what a carbon credit is. Mm. But I only put up a few bucks. I've already made a couple of million. Mm. And so I'm getting smarter because now I'm interested. Well, how did I make money? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't sit there and question Marin. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a calculus teacher. I didn't do well in math at all. So when Marin says, this is what I'm going to do, I said, okay, I'll do it. So I listen to guys like you, Jeff Booth, Max Kaiser, and I go, okay. Then I listen to Peter Schiff, who's a good friend of mine. And I remind him that he lives in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and what people and I give all the guys that live in Puerto Rico, like Mark Moss and you know uh, Jeff mm -hmm. Mike, uh George Gammon. If you're a real estate guy, you don't have to live in Puerto Rico because you don't pay taxes anyway. Yeah. So the only guys living in Puerto Rico are dodging taxes. Yeah. But, but if you're a real estate guy, you don't have to live in Puerto Rico. <laughs> huh. I think it's kind of funny, personally. Yeah. But the end game is gold, silver, Bitcoin. It's the end of the rainbow. So yeah, the those are the points you're putting on the scoreboard ultimately. Right. Bearer That's asset. Bearer asset. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else owns it. I own it. Yeah. There's no counterparty risk to it. Yeah. So do you then ma you manage your portfolio to be a percentage of gold, silver, Bitcoin? Is that what you're like? No, I don't no, I just I I don't even know how much I have since the millions. Yeah. I just know I went over a billion dollars in debt. And every time Susie Orman gets out her credit card and snips it with her scissors, I think she's circumcising me. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you, man maybe you could speak to the intelligent management of debt, because clearly you're, you, 
there's smart debt and not smart debt. How do you prevent assets from being liquidated and protect yourself? What advice do you have there? I, I can, as an I, I'm an insider. Mm. So, I, so I know exactly who the team that goes the acquisition. We just bought uh, 600 units in Houston, mm-hmm. apartment home. So we had to raise like 160 million bucks for that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, interest rates are so low, I can't believe it. You know, it's like lowering the interest rate is, is like going to Neiman Marcus and they're saying we're putting everything on sale. Yeah. So when the Fed drops interest rates, they're putting money on sale. Yeah. Right? Credit, yeah. debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, I buy an asset that's going to cover the debt. So mm-hmm. the asset pays off the debt. I don't pay it off. And then I got a tax break um, via depreciation, amortization, and appreciation. Mm-hmm. I tend to use that 1031 out. So mm-hmm. any appreciation I make, I don't sell it, I borrow it out. So if I have $10 million in equity inside yeah. a property, I go back to the bank and I borrow out the 10 million. Yeah. Because the asset will pay for the 10 million. So my apartment houses pay for it all. Gotcha. So I'm not a real estate guy. I'm I'm actually a capitalist. Yeah. I'm just looking for the best deal, who's got the best price of money, and what was the government offering me. Do you have any major um risk events you've been through or major failures that have helped hone like hone you and sharpen you help you grow maybe there's one you could share well failure is part of success as you know yeah one of the reasons you go to school you want to cut down that failure rate as much as possible Mm -hmm. the mistake that school makes is because you don't make mistakes but you can't be an entrepreneur if you don't make mistakes you see as an accountant if you make mistakes you get fired I mean, that's what the, the big eight, I don't know what they are, how many left big today. Big four now. Big four now, they yeah. fired. Yeah. But as an entrepreneur, I've got to go out there and make as many mistakes as possible and learn quickly. My yeah. biggest mistakes have been in people. Yeah. I hired, uh, you know, it's, it's like you don't notice Jim Rogers talking about George Soros. So uh, partnerships are some of the most painful things. It's like a divorce. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Hiring and meeting people of the same mindset are horrible processes, but that's how you learn. So, you know, the best way you meet people, some of the best deals, some of the worst deals have always brought out the best partners, Mm. who also picked out the best partners. Mm. So today I'm down to a team of about 10 and we've come through hell together. And so it's it's like getting married. My wife and I separated when she no longer needed the money. (laughs) <laughs> she says, well, I guess I don't need you anymore. So well, I guess not. <laughs> that's, that's why Gates and all those guys in Bezos, their wives leave. You know, they don't need you. So they, they just move on. And women are pretty materialistic also. <laughs> now you, you're still married, I, right? I'm, we're married, but we're no longer, uh, we're separated. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. And th- this is who I met in Miami? Yeah, yeah. I wish yeah. the best of friends. Oh, okay. She, I didn't know she's that. Gorgeous. She's fine. We have a good time together. But uh, there was, you know, Rollo Tomasi was at uh, George George's event in uh, Miami. Have you listened to Rollo? I don't believe I have, no. As a man, you should listen to him. 
Okay. He pisses, he pisses my butt off. <laughs> so I was I was at George Gammon in Miami, and Rolla was talking to my doctor, you know, medical doctor, and she's dropped dead gorgeous. She was ready to tear his throat out. <laughs> <laughs> I she's the one most you know she's 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 got me healthy she's wonderful I love her dearly yeah but he has a way of aggravating women like you've never seen wow. because he's he understands what he calls hypergamy okay. that women have this window it's called shelf life yeah seventeen to twenty seven where guys like you and me we can go forever <laughs> does that make sense I saw this letter. I don't know. I think a, a a girl had written a letter to a hedge fund manager asking why she couldn't find a guy that was making more than whatever half a million years, half a million a year in income, something to that effect. And he replied to the letter saying, "Because she's a depreciating asset, I guess describing like the shelf life you're saying, whereas yeah. he is an appreciating asset. You know, he's making more and more money every year, so he's actually increasing his market value." as his earning power increases, whereas men tend to date women not for their earning power. They date them for their physical attractiveness and, yeah. and whatnot. So it's kind of a harsh it's, reality, but it is largely true. Well, it's really surprising, Robert. You know what I mean? Like, I'm an old man. I was at the bar the other night with these beautiful women, and I was spouting off Rollo Tomasi. Because <laughs> 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 I was I was explaining, I said, the trouble with women is this, if you're beautiful, you're smart, and you're rich, the fewer men are available to you because a woman will never go out with a man who's less than her. Mm, right. But men will go out with a dog. As long as the body is hot, the face is hot, they'll go out with it. Yeah. So it's that's what Rollo, I mean, every every man and woman should listen to Rollo Tomasi. It's called a uh, something male. But I was at I was at George Gavin's party and, and Rollo and I fell madly in love, you know. So he's holding court. And I have a young lady who works for me. She's 24 years old. She is 24 for women is the hottest zone possible. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? She's at peak yeah. market film. <laughs> and then her mother was there. And Rollo is Rollo is nonstop. He is hysterical for guys like us. But the uh, so, um, Alexandra was 24. Her eyeballs are as big as saucers. Uh -huh. Her mother was going to put muffs on her ear. And uh, my doctor, who's 34, who's hot as a pistol also, she was vibrating. I mean, she was, he upset her to no end. Wow. Because, Robert, it's primal. Yeah. You know, what, what Rollo talks about is primal. I mean, long before caveman time. Yeah. So I have an aunt who escaped from China, you know, when Mao took over. And she told me, she says, yes, I'm a descendant of Genghis Khan. Mm. It's a big deal. He had 40,000 kids. Mm -hmm. So what hypergamy is, Robert, is the black and simple, the alpha male did the breeding. Yeah, right. The, the less guys got castrated. So when I was a kid, I used to go to this farm, this dairy farm, mm -hmm. and only the male bull, the, the breeding bull bred. Right. Any male offspring were castrated. Right. 
And kind of that's hypergamy. So the women are always looking for the breeding bull. And the breeding bull is looking for more women. That's what that's what Rollo, I mean, I'm saying it different than Rollo would say it. Yeah. But Robert, you would you would have been proud of me. Here I'm an old guy and I have all these hot women around me. Their husbands are going, who is that Japanese guy there? <laughs> and that was explained that women have this shelf life and the more powerful they get and the more successful they get the fewer men are available yeah whereas a guy you know we're whores <laughs> yeah yeah it's such a i mean there's a primal aspect to it but then there's also this you know humans have this proclivity to mate you know um in monogamous relationships long term so it's very confusing and now we have all of this feminist backlash and yeah. um to even, to even listen to this conversation people would probably be upset about it some people no, but I, it's I, but there's a primal element to it that you can't really argue with well i listen to like you jeff snatter and those guys I, I listen to these other guys too i go okay okay i don't have to be right about anything yeah that's right i just want to hear what you're saying it's a great mentality, honestly. And because then you don't, you don't need to, I love what you said earlier, like instead of trying to be right, just try to be rich and you become rich by assimilating multiple viewpoints and considering them, right. By inquiring, yeah, asking, trying to see the world through the eyes of others versus trying to establish a point and be right about it, which doesn't really get you anything. Correct. Which is silly. Um, but look, like, like the question I ask myself, how can I make a million dollars and pay no taxes? Mm. Well, I yeah. can't figure that out, but my accountant can. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and my tax attorney can. I don't have to figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, uh, when this I, is when what, I, um, my mom, I'm from Tennessee. I think I mentioned to you, uh, grew up in Tennessee. So she has a lot of redneck wisdom, you might say. And one of the things she yeah, used to always yeah. say was, it's not what you know, but if you know how to look it up. So yeah. you don't need to even have the resource or the answer in hand. You need to be able to gain access to it. Um, do you have, so that I didn't know that you and Kim were separated, but still working together. Um, do you have any advice on that front for guys? Like that sounds like a really complicated situation to manage. I mean, how did you pull that off? Well, Mr. Braidlove, you're asking about the most dangerous questions you can ask. <laughs> We can, we can pass on it if you like. <laughs> no, but you think about it. What's it? Um, Jeff, not, um, what's his name? It's Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. That's going to be expensive. Basil yeah. expensive. Yeah. Do you know? And so, the, the you know, when I was a kid, there was a TV show called Father Knows Best. And the dad went out, he came home, and June, his wife sat there, she had an apron. I said, hi, dear, how was work? And all this stuff. Then there was Leave It to Beaver, and the father was out. And then around the 90s came uh, Al Bundy. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. I grew up with Al Bundy. Al Bundy, and then came Roseanne Barr. Okay. So when you watch the evolution of uh, dem 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 demographics, demography, yeah, you can see the change. And so women are getting more and more powerful. Yes. But the underlying breeding bull and cow mentality sits there. And it pisses people off. They get so hot. Yeah. 
And so I was sitting, I hate to tell you that I was sitting at the bar, you know, I have these three beautiful women around me and their husbands are going, and I'm not fooling around. I never, che I never cheated on my wife, never once, which was a mistake. I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, according, according to Rollo, I should have been. By the way, I'm sitting on this. And I said to the husband, I said, you can take this picture of this guy, could be J Japanese, black, white, pink, nobody cares. You got three hot women, every guy in the world wants to be there. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no explanation. <laughs> yeah. It's just, this is what guys want. Yeah. And women always want the better male. What makes so that's, that's, every time I talk to you, I mean, you know, you're so damn good looking. I was like, you yeah, I'd be a male model someplace, you know what I mean? I'd be a chicken build dancer or something. <laughs> but, I'm going to stick to but, the coin. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we're, we're talking about something that's primal. Yeah. You know, what happened in the caveman days, once a woman was no longer capable of giving birth or hunter-gathering, they kicked her out. Yeah. You know, and so when I explain that to women, they I mean, I get hate mail, I get all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I said, look, I, I didn't make the rules. Yeah. I just talked about me going to the dairy, looking at the breeding bull and all the cows. <clears throat> and what happens to the what happens to the bulls? They become steers. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think that the 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 <clears throat> the female conception of a better man has that changed over time? Because I know, like Jordan Peterson talks about, women tend to prefer men that are competent but also generous, um, because that that is a good indicator of how good of a provider they'll be. Frankly, they can make more money, create more money, but they're also generous with it. Do you think that conception has changed over time, or is it still something very? primal that women just want one type of guy well robert like i said there's many points of view mm. and rollo tomasi thinks that jordan peterson is a simp thinks he's simple he's a no he's a wimp oh really okay everybody's got a point of view yeah so i yeah, sit yeah. there i tune them all in i, I, I listen to you and i listen to shit yeah what have i lost i've gained yeah so jordan peterson is talking about the kind of male that Rollo Tomasi says don't become. Ah, uh, okay. And so between the two is my choice. Gotcha. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. No, you're simulating multiple viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. I <clears throat> it's the same as should everybody become an entrepreneur? I don't know. Something. Mm, right. Yeah, it's um I don't know. This is just like the the age-old struggle right men trying to figure out women women trying to figure out men no one's ever figured it out we just like have to get along because the species depends on it but <laughs> uh, but women are becoming more powerful yeah they need less men right hypergamy or according to Rollo tomasi the trouble with that is women have fewer men mm. that's the risk Mm -hmm. Whereas a guy gets older and more successful, more women. Yeah. Interesting. It's very, it's, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating subject. So this point, I mean, the, the power, people are becoming more powerful in the world in general because 
capitalism is increasing the capital stock of the world. So people are becoming more wealthy, right? So women then are becoming less dependent on men. They can create their own individual income and wealth. Um, So this gets to one point in your book that it's about money being very much a mentality, right? It's determining that, uh, here's the quote I'll read, and it's related to fear and emotions, but instead of admitting the truth about how they feel, they react to their feelings and fail to think. They feel the fear, so they go to work, hoping that money will soothe the fear, but it does not. Money is running their lives, and they refuse to tell the truth about that. Money is in control of their emotions and souls. So you're describing how people get, this is the hamster wheel, right? People get caught up on the hamster wheel. They think that the answer to the, uh, I guess the economic insecurity they have is to go out and hustle and make more money. But it's, there's more of a mentality of what, how that money is being used for you, right? Like to, to to the point about Rich Dad, he pays him himself first, then he pays his creditors, then he pays his taxes. Whereas the employee, poor dad would be paying Tax. his taxes, then himself, then his bills. Oh, then or maybe his bills credit. than himself, actually. Right. So, so there's more power being created in the world through economic, the economic gains of capitalism, but then it's almost like based on people's attitudes or approach to that, they separate themselves into different groups, either capitalists or, or bureaucratic. Is that how you see this playing out, kind of? It's, it's actually more frightening than that, because as you, know, as you and I know, is the Fed is communist. It's mm-hmm. Marxist. Mm-hmm. Central bank is Marxist. Yeah. And, and, and what's, what uh, Lenin said is that if you want to debauch the, you want to destroy capitalism, debauch the currency. And Marx says, if you want to destroy capitalism, put in taxes. Mm-hmm. And so you look at what Biden, I'm not Republican or Democrat, mm-hmm. but what Biden is doing is printing more money and raising taxes. Mm-hmm. So I see that as a communist move. The point yeah. here is this, is the gap is getting too big. So we're on the verge of revolution. Yeah. So a lot of times when I, when I do talks, I hold up a $100 bill and I hold up Zimbabwe $10 million notes. With which I have a $10 million note or a $100 bill mm-hmm. or a gold coin. Yeah. And then they have to sit there. I took the gold coin. More than the $100 bill in Zimbabwe dollar. But this is my main point, Robert, is that your mind is infinite. Mm. I don't need money. Bitcoin is the end of the chain. No. The start of the chain is my ideas. Mm. So I write a book. I sell the license to 50 publishers throughout the world. I'm, I'm in the money immediately. Mm-hmm. The cash pours in. I buy real estate. I pay no taxes and I make more money. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's not a hard program. So I don't, so Bitcoin is like a, a last of the chain for me. Yeah. Or many young people, this is the start of the chain for them. Yeah. So, so I think this is the um, one area that people, often ignore, but it seems critical to getting to the other side of this entrepreneurial productive mentality and getting out of the rat race. Um, And I'll just read a couple more quotes from your book here. 
said the avoidance of money <clears throat> is just as psychotic as being attached to money. Many people say that, quote, I'm not interested in money, but then they'll go and work a job for eight hours per day. That is a denial of truth. If they weren't interested in money, then why are they working? The main cause of poverty or financial struggle is fear and ignorance. So it's really people, I mean, living under a self-cast delusion in a way to try and tell yourself that money doesn't matter or it's not important. And this is something I think you made the point that poor dad often said that he wasn't concerned about money. Correct. But when in fact your, your stated beliefs or your cognitive beliefs, even they're divergent from your actions, you're still going Correct. to work 40 hours plus a week for money. So <clears throat> how, I mean, is there advice you have for people to, to deal with that schism? I mean, it seems like that is something that mentality is one that is imposed through the lack of education about money to your original point. So would you just encourage people to go out and educate themselves or? Well, that's, that's why I created the, in 1996, my wife and I created the cash flow board game. As Maria Montessori said of my school system, what the hand does, the mind remembers. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have to do something. Yeah. And you just keep thinking, you're not doing much, but think. Yeah. But that's like, you know, Tiger Woods saying, well, you don't have to, you don't have to practice, just read my book. Right. You know, and, and someday you'll be PGA champion. It's not going to happen that way. Yeah. But academics are completely opposite than entrepreneurs. Yeah. So that's why like I said, New York Times, every, every editor turned down my book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've been under attack from them forever, you know, because they're academics. They think if they memorize the answer, they got it. Yeah. And it's kind of a false idea. Like even right. you, you were talking about how, how hard it is to be an accountant. It's work. Oh, yeah. So what I did is I took, I took accountancy, which is the most important subject for an entrepreneur. And I put it into a simple form, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flow. Yeah. And then the game actually makes you do the numbers correct, talk to people, look at deals. And it's like going to the gym for your brain, mm -hmm. but you have to do something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you don't do something, your thoughts remain the same. That's the problem. That's why our school system is corrupt. The NEA, Forbes calls them the National Extortion Association. They're horrible people. They're mm -hmm. communists mm -hmm. because Marx says workers of the world unite. You know, mm -hmm. that's unions. Mm -hmm. I, I never belonged to a union. I refused. Mm -hmm. But if you want to belong to a union, that's your choice. I'm, I'm not against what you do. I'm just telling you what I did. So the thing is you have to do something to learn something. You cannot learn to play golf reading a book or mm. sitting in a classroom. All right. You got to get out there and do the work. You got to yeah. practice. You probably, you know, anybody who is successful does pra practices all the time. Yeah. That's the difference. They don't think about it. So you've got to face your fears and take action. Correct. Correct. And well, that's, I'm, I'm really fortunate. My, the, I got a lifetime fitness and they built a, they built a gym right behind my house. The hardest part is a hundred yard walk. <laughs> <laughs> getting started, right? No, just getting to the damn place. And once yeah. I'm there, I'm so lazy. I hire a coach. 
Because if I didn't hire a coach, I'd sit there and eat bonbons or something. (laughs) Now, is that you do that every morning? You work out every morning or about four times a week? Four times a week. Yeah. But the thing is, the hardest walk is that 100 yards. Right. You know what I mean? And then once I'm there, I'm so I'm still lazy. I just hired this coach who name is Vernon. He's the best guy around. And then, you know, when I was a kid, we used those heavy weights. Yeah. He just used rubber bands. Right. I'm blown away at how my body has changed because he can actually torque a certain muscle and all this stuff. Yeah. And, but I have to get there. Right. And I hire coaches because I'm lazy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I know I'm lazy. Yeah. I, I want somebody to push, push me. Yeah. So our only problem is ourselves. Mm. And so the people listening to this right now as well as easy for you, you already have money and all that. Well, I've also been down 30 million bucks. Mm. And I get all back. That was hard. You know, because my my account and attorney ran off with the money. Wow. And the reason why I love my wife so much is she stuck through me, she stuck with me through that process. But wow. that process of working out where we screwed up made us richer and smarter. Right. Does that make sense to you? We, we yeah. had to find out we did not know. And so wow. today, you know, we're a billion in debt, but that debt is buying assets for us. And the more debt we have, the more tax we pay. Mm. But it takes practice. Now, is that the story? You said the 30 million you were down. Was that the story you once mentioned that you lost a substantial sum and you paid back some investors? Was that yeah. that episode? Uh, I, 30 million was the most. I've, I've lost smaller deals and you know, bad things. Every single one was because I trusted somebody. Mm. It was the biggest mistake. Yeah. I mean, even, even in gold, I started a gold mine in China. I took it public through Toronto Stock Exchange for an IPO. And we, we found a billion dollar mine <clears throat> uh, vein in Dalian, China. And as soon as we, we produced gold, the Chinese government nationalized it. Wow. So I was a billionaire for about a month, long ago, and the Chinese took it. And that was it? No, no compensation at all? Just Correct. Wow. That's who we're dealing with now. Yeah. That's who we're dealing with. <sighs> That's um, that's a stark reminder of yeah. the battle that's being fought in the world over between capitalist and statist. And then the Chinese invest in America. They come through Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and the and Wall Street and all that. Yeah. And then they they, they finance the NEA and Biden. I'm, I'm not Republican or Democrat. I'm just saying yeah. the follow the yeah. money. Just follow. Right. Follow the money. Totally makes sense. As long as you need the money, you'll you like the puppet on the string, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he who controls the money has a puppet dance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robert, this has been fantastic. I, you know, really appreciate you sharing your wisdom. I appreciate your book. I think it's excellent. Uh, I suggest everyone go out and, and check it out. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You've probably heard of it. <laughs> I've heard about it my whole life. Finally got around to reading it. Um, well, thank you. Honored. Yeah. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you. You know, I've been on your show a couple of times. We met in Miami. Um, and, I, you know, I just appreciate the wisdom you've shared and the bluntness. You know, you don't hold back. You really <laughs> tell it how it is. And I, uh, 
I'm an admirer of that. So thank you. Thank you. Well, as you know, one of my heroes was uh, Jack Nicholson and a few good men about the Marine. And the Marines are taught to say, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> and I think the issue is how much truth can we handle? Yeah. And that's why I listen to as many points of view as possible. Right. Make my own decisions. That's so how it's an honor, honor to get to know you. It's nice to see young guys coming up who are teaching. So thank you for that. Thank you. It's been great having you on. Um, would you like to tell the audience where to go, your website, or to get your book, anything in particular? Now, Rich Dad Poor, just go to richdad.com. But the most important thing we have is we have cash flow clubs. Mm -hmm. And a cash flow club, and we, and we pump in um, like YouTube videos. So they hear from my instructors, like mm -hmm. my account, my attorneys, and all this, my, my uh, real estate guys. And then they play the cash flow game and they cooperate, help each other. Mm. In school, that's called cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and we want people to make mistakes with fake money, play money. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get smarter. So our, our whole job is to make you smarter. Love it. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Robert, thank you so much. Thanks. Keep up the good work, Robert. Will do.